As always, we're going to get straight into our discussion with Andrew Jensen, but I did quickly want to mention that we had a bit of an issue with Andrew's audio early on. It did cut out on us a few times, but the value of this interview is tremendous. Andrew has an unbelievable backstory that you will not want to miss and provides a lot of insight into professional golf, collegiate golf, the mental aspect of the game, and he's just an overall really insightful guy. So without further ado, here's Andrew Jensen. Andrew, it's a little bit difficult to kind of describe your role in the game of golf, so I want you to kind of explain that. You got your your feet dipped in many different waters here. Yeah, um, my role in the game of golf, that's interesting. Like, I guess, I mean, I'm a professional golfer, not retired, like like YouTubers t- or YouTube comments tell me I should retire. <laughs> um, I'm not a full-time player. I That kind of that career basically ended when I broke my arm last year. I thought I could bounce back from that, but the, uh, the aftermath of a broken arm and having a YouTube channel that was kind of a part-time gig allowed me to do YouTube full-time. So I would say my, yeah, my role in the game of golf, I'm a golf YouTuber full-time now. Um, I've, I've dabbled in a little bit of coaching. No one really knows about that. Like that's, I get some, some requests. I'm, I'm just ultimately, as cliche as it sounds and as how as much as I hate this stupid sentence, but I'm just trying to aim. <laughs> Everyone and their uncle likes to say they're trying to grow the game of golf, but like I've golfed my whole, I've been fortunate enough to play professionally since 2008. And I have a, a platform now ultimately to just share my experience with, with younger golfers, older golfers, and just try to have people learn from the mistakes I made. So mentor coach youtuber really anyone you can call me whatever the hell you want in the game of golf some people like in my youtube comments freak out over what took just call me whatever you want it doesn't matter what you define someone as or someone defines themselves as so my instagram bio says former tour player youtuber public speaker so we'll go with that because that's that's as true as things get right instagram (laughs) that's what they say right yeah so before you know we go a bit more in depth regarding your upbringing you mentioned before that your your father was a club professional yeah and obviously it must have been convenient to have your father kind of right there helping you and knowing a lot about the game but did being surrounded by golf 24 7 kind of complicate your relationship with the game in any way not really because I think so growing up in Canada up in Ottawa, we basically had a seven month season. So the fact that my dad was a club pro, I was afforded the luxury of being at the golf course, sun up to sundown for those seven months, whatever the weather was. And I worked in the back shop. So I was just around the game of golf and I like legitimately loved the game of golf from the second I started it. it wasn't by my dad's pushing me or anything like that. Like my dad didn't want, like didn't encourage me or like he encouraged me, but he was you want to golf golf same with his two boys that he had from his first marriage like our whole family golfs it just was a byproduct of my dad being around the game and having that access so like my relationship really only started to get complicated when you start competing especially as a teenager when you start competing in tournaments and you're growing in puberty and all these things and pair it with only golfing seven months a year you know the summer I was 16 or the summer I was 15 was like so hard 
because so many changes had happened to me physically that like you can only do so much indoors in the winter. So like trying to compete and like your identity and your college future and all of these things that complicates your relationship with the game. And it's, it's no different than professional golf. Like the minute your result creates something for you opportunity wise, you have a diff- you have a weird relationship with the game of golf. If golf is just fun trying to shoot scores to better yourself or beat your buddy for beers, pretty easy relationship with the game of golf. But um, when it's like, it's your livelihood, your life, your identity, difficult relationship. But I was fortunate. My dad didn't uh, force golf on me basically. And like, it wasn't like I had to, compete well or whatever it was my doing to get it competitive golf and then my dad obviously from great has great experience and he was there to help me if I asked him but a lot of the times like I mean we were all teenagers like our parents trying to tell us what to do or how to do something want to listen to them so my real development as a golfer and with swing and all of that was always my dad pushed it on or pushed it on he he let the assistant pro at the club be my coach kind of thing. Cause that's who I would listen to. But then, you know, like if we talked about golf, he was pretty good at, at helping me and, and course management, but he always thought I could do better. He could give me advice and that, but I didn't want to listen to him. So it was difficult in that regard. And it strained our relationship certainly. But I mean, if I look back, yeah, he, he formed, he put the club in my hands and like, push like gave me the access to the golf course and was like I'm here to help you if you want it um, I didn't want it <laughs> very but thankfully I was afforded a lot of access to or it wasn't like I could get awesome clubs or anything my dad was always like you have to earn what you get like he was that was my upbringing it was not like oh here you get the the new clubs every year just to really help you or put you in every tournament oh you had to earn your way in this game because this game doesn't give you handouts and that's very very true as I progressed in a professional golf and it certainly made me understand when I turn pro like not expecting clubs from companies like oh I get half off cost because I'm a Canadian tour player thank you whereas there's so many you know pros nowadays kids I like to call them that just think they deserve everything for free because they are a professional golfer like, no, you need to earn it. Like play better and your clubs will be free. Play better and you'll get paid to use those clubs. And it's this mixing now with Instagram and influencers and golf. It's just like, oh, so many people in the golf world think everything is deserved to them. Whereas thankfully my dad raised me in a way that was like, no, you, what you get in this game, you, you get what you, what you put into it, you'll get out of that. Like that was one of the big things in that is everything that's my main in life like that's a lesson that my dad taught me with golf as the backdrop but it affects life and that I think is a great golf coach right there is it's not just about golf now it's about being a good and putting in your work everywhere if he was listening to this I would never have said these things when I was younger like oh yeah that makes sense <laughs> but uh it certainly has has formed who I am now so to get back to your dad's coaching, do you think he was a little more hands-off with you as opposed to and letting the assistant take care of you because he was afraid it would complicate your relationship? 
No, just because I was like, I didn't want to listen to him. And he was just like, well, he'd throw his hands up in the air. Like, if you don't want to listen to me, this will be someone you'll listen to. Because it was, it, yeah, it was more to kind of, I don't know if it was like to protect our relationship, but it was just like frustration. Well, fuck, if you don't want to listen to me, I'm done. Like, I don't want to give you, I don't, I'm not going to keep trying if you're not going to listen to me. But when you're 14, 15 years old, you don't listen to your parents. You don't want to listen to your parents. Yeah. It's that natural instinct to try yeah. to prove your parents wrong. Yeah. Cause we, our brains don't understand that like our parents actually are smarter than us and have experience and whatever. As I grew up, I, it made more sense. I would listen to him, but then the difficulty was I went the path. He was a club, a very good golfer and like won a lot zone stuff. And that like, he was a good tournament player. So our experiences with the games or with the game really divided us because he wanted to kind of help me in my, my first year on the Canadian tour when I was struggling so much, but I didn't want to listen to him. Cause like, dad, you don't know what it's like you don't have this experience with the game of golf. And it was really, really difficult for us. Like our relationship really strained my first year or two on the Canadian tour because I mean, I broke his heart. I had to say to him like, dad, I just want you to imagine like you're a doctor and I'm a golfer. Like you don't know anything about golf. Just let me go kind of thing. Cause it's one of those instincts. Like if your child, I think takes on the family business if you will you want to pass on to them as much as you can but i had to kind of tell him just like stop and it was it was i think it was really hard for him to hear that and obviously that played so much into my own my overall health problems but um yeah i mean men and relationships with our dads are are an interesting and intricate and sometimes very difficult thing yeah i mean you see these these guys like justin thomas right that their dads grew up, you know, they're, they're a club professional. They grew up under the instruction of their dad. And there's certainly a lot to be said about the success stories of mm-hmm. those, right? But you don't see the ones that don't work out. And there, there's certainly some that don't work out because not every father's the same. Yeah. Some are more overbearing than others. Some want to control exactly what their kid is doing all the time. And I think the approach that your, your dad ended up taking was the right one that ended up in a success story because if you if you put golf above everything as a father and as a club professional it's just it's not going to work out well like your kid's going to no. end up hating the game absolutely and i mean yeah you said there's there's a few that we haven't heard about there's probably hundreds if not thousands that you don't hear about because yeah i mean it's all it's well intentioned but it's like with any sport I mean, I grew up in Canada. You have, you know, hockey parents are, are, are crazy. Like there's documentaries made about them. Like it's, it's, it's well-intentioned, but the execution is very, very difficult because you just as a parent, I, I, I would imagine you just, you see it so clearly, but the kid doesn't see it so clearly. And I think that's something that like I've had to come to understand because in my speaking career and talking about mental health and like getting a lot of feedback and, and having messages and exchanges with teenagers, I want to just like grab them by the head and be like, listen, it's just this, just do this. But you have to understand that their brains don't understand, aren't there yet. Same thing with the amount of, of DMS and comments I get from like just dumb kids, like just asking stupid questions when it's like, 
the answer to this question is in a video last week. Like, what the hell? But you just, uh, okay. I can't tell that kid he's a moron because that's just, that's wrong. Like that you're an asshole, Andrew, if you do that, but that's kind of it. Like you want to just be like, it's so clear, but you have to be compassionate and understanding that it's not as clear for them and times change. And now it's, it's even more so like it's, it's a bit of a handout culture. So yeah, like just give me my information, give me what I want and need and, and away we go. And when it comes to like, and it's really interesting when we're talking about kind of father and son, cause isn't this the week, the father son tournament, like tiger and his son yeah. are playing and then yeah. Justin and his dad are playing and it's, yeah, your media loves to show cause you have to say that Davis love and his dad, like you have a lot of great success stories, but then come down to the Canadian tour, come down to the swing thought tour and hang out with me. And you'll see a lot of not success stories of parents and, and tour players. And those guys will never be on the PGA tour because of that relationship with that parent. Like, man, some of the stuff I did with swing thought this summer, like handling their kind of social media, the shit that I dealt with, with parents following around, you know, they're fresh out of college kid. It's like, come on, let, let the, like cut the umbilical cord. Like you're holding your kid back. And it's just like, but you think it's the best. So it's difficult. It's really difficult. Yeah. You see it at AJGA tournaments too, where it almost seems as these parents are living vicariously through their kid. Yeah. But again, like we said, it's, it's so well-intentioned. They don't realize it. Yeah. Think about it. I do a monthly video against a junior golfer. Do you not think yeah. I get emails and messages from parents trying to sell their dad, their kid to me? Yeah. Fair point. Whereas most, like if, the pro versus junior series that I do, those are kids I know. And I coordinate those matches with kids. I've had parents try to do it. And it's just like, chill out because you think this is going to be exposure for your kid. That's not the point. The point of pro versus junior is me choosing to give these kids a platform and be like, Hey, if this helps you great. If it, if it introduces you, cause it has turned into like college coaches reaching out to these kids because of these videos cool as hell, but that's not the intention. And if that's the intention of a parent reaching out to me to get their kid on YouTube, it's like, it's like having a sponsor when you turn pro who's trying to make money off of you. No, your, your initial sponsors need to just be helping you to let you chase down a dream for a couple of years, not trying to make a buck off of you. And like, I, like some of my good peers, friends that I played the Canadian tour with for a handful of years, when we all turn pro, they're top college coaches now. And when people find that out, it's like, it's super interesting. The messages I'll get from parents. Oh, can you do this video? And then potentially it helps. Can you then send the video to this coach? And it's like, well-intentioned, but oof. <laughs> it's a pretty uh, fine line you're walking here. Yeah, definitely a slippery slope. Yeah. Because so you, you do like, you see, just kind of add to that. Like my coach, Dan, like, you'll see great kids that he's worked with that after a year or two of college golf, just don't want to do it anymore because it is, it's a full-time job. And if it's a full-time job and it's pressure with your parents on top of that, I mean, for me, when I was a junior, I, I took this summer when I was 17 completely off. Cause I just like, I can't do this. It's too closely connected to my, my, my dad and all of these things. So think about the kids down here. It's all, all year for years and years and years, man, 
no wonder they're burnt out at 20 years old and done in college. Like they don't even want to. Uh, you alluded to uh, struggles with your mental health. Um, yeah. You've been, you've been unbelievably courageous, forthright about it. You speak, you have a speaking gig with Bell Let's Talk now. So can you kind of detail when your struggles with mental health really started to play a more significant role in your life? Well, I think obviously hindsight is, is huge in this, in this space. And in this regard, like if I can look back and be like, Oh, you know, basically shit started to hit the fan when I was like 13, but I didn't know. You just think you're a kid, you're growing up, you're going through phases. But like, I tried to take my life for the first time when I was 16 years old. And again, it's phases. It's a phase. Okay. Work on your game. I lost weight, get better grades, all of these things that you think will make it better as opposed to potentially saying, Hey, maybe there's something else at play here. And you know, then I kind of got through it and then I coped and I, and I, I just, that kind of what I said earlier, like the, the work ethic that my dad instilled in me, like you'll get out of it what you put into it. I put that into my, all these external factors, losing weight, getting better grades, playing better golf, like all of these things that were supposed to make me feel better about myself. But it was just temporary. It was bandaid on a bullet hole and you can kind of get, get away with that for a little bit. And then it back and it comes, it goes away and it comes back. And then when I turned pro is when it really started to come to the forefront big time, because, you know, 23 years old, pack up your life, put it in a car, literally drop North America to play and struggle with so many things that this career is bringing you that no one can prepare you for. Like, that's the one thing that's so interesting questions and comments I get, like, there's nothing I can prepare you for what it's going to be like when you turn pro and you, you actually go on the road, not play mini tour golf where you get to sleep at home, play around your area for a career. So it was just like it, it ebbed and flowed. And then, yeah, when I, um, basically my career was over for lack of a better word, like three years into playing, that's when I try to take my life again. And that's when twice actually twice in like two and a half weeks and that's when it was like okay i need to get better there's something wrong here wrong is the wrong word but there's something wrong like i'm not healthy and again that that work ethic okay let's work hard at this let's get healthy let's figure this out and it's been a process but in that process i was given the opportunity because i'm a professional golfer like use that word very loosely but if I were a plumber, no one would have given me a platform, but because I was playing on the PGA tour Canada, people started to care. So I was like, Oh, cool. Like my ego loved it. Like, all right, great. This will help me get sponsors selfishly. And then thankfully that went away. And it just, it just, I mean, there's nothing you can compare. Like I, people say like, you know, you know, if you save one life because you're sharing your story, it's worth it. I don't think, like, I, I try not to think of it like that. Like it's just me talking about what I've been through. I don't think it's special. I don't think it's courageous. But if I look back over the years, like the emails and messages of people who have legitimately said, like, I didn't kill myself because of you. It's like, it's overwhelming. I don't want to think about it because if I think about it too deeply, it's like, it can freeze you up. Like you don't know what to do. Like it's, it's, that's too much weight to carry, but it's been so cool. Like I've just been given the opportunity to travel and speak and, and ultimately have fun and help people. I don't like, to, I don't like to say I help people because 
is weird to say that I help people because that's not it's just not why I'm I'm doing it. I'm just doing it because I it's like I'm I love to talk about what I've been through, and people are care. And it's just, uh, it's been cool. And again, with starting the YouTube channel, like tying those two together a little bit, it's really cool getting messages from junior golfers, college golfers who are going through the same thing. And for, to have someone tell them like, Hey, that's okay. Because when I was 16, I didn't have that. Someone to be like, Hey, it's okay to hate yourself after you shoot 80. But what the next step is, is telling someone talking about it. Let's, let's figure out why as opposed to just like stuffing it down and hoping that the next day you shoot 70 and you'll like yourself. Like that's, that's the house of cards that I built. And that's what I'm trying to help junior players not build now. When I hear that, I think about Rory has talked extensively about kind of separating his life on the golf course from his life off the golf course. Do you think it's fair to say that you were potentially putting all your self worth into your scores and finding yourself, you know, by the number you shot every day and that you've learned to kind of overcome that as time has gone on. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've learned to overcome it. I've learned to just manage it, but 100% was my, and that is so hard to, to live by. Yeah. Because you're never enough, right? Like even when you're, you're, going along well and you can look back at tiger's career and the way that he spoke about things when he was younger you can see that adage of like you can always get better you can always get better and like that was what his dad instilled in him like you're not enough keep working and you've seen it now tiger's like softened up and he's like he's easier on himself and rory's a special special case because he has been able to separate it and if it means he's won less majors because of that who cares, right? Like he's healthier, he's happier, and he's being a better influence role model to thousands and millions of people rather than only giving a shit about trophies. And yeah, like I'm a huge, I'm a, just a huge Rory McIlroy fan and just listening to some of his interviews on, and like the Whoop podcast was one in particular where he talks deeply about like how he digitally decompresses and like stays away from social media and all of these things and being on his phone because his health is an important thing to him and that's like that tide is changing and I do think it also like it does play a little bit into Rory's from the UK I'm from like America's not as on top of this like your health is more important than your accomplishments like we're it's getting there but being from different countries where like we've prioritized mental health as a, as an overall importance in your health, it's, it's cool to see athletes talk about it. And, and, and then that then tells these kids that look up to them that like, Oh my gosh, I'm not alone. It is okay. I can separate golf from my, like who I am because it's just, it's just so easy to keep them tied together. And when that is the case, Oh, it's just, it's a, it, like I've said it a few times, it's a house of cards. It's an absolute house of cards. Look at the best player in the history of the game. Look at what happened when that house of cards fell in 2009. Like, oh, man, that was, that was awful. It felt so bad for, you could see what someone was going through. And then years later, you see this addiction to painkillers because of, like, it's just like, it's, these are humans and it's like, it's nice that 
the game is getting to that place where we're like, we're really humanizing these athletes. Cause when I grew up, they were just athletes in any sport. Right. And it's, we're, we're shifting there across sport and that's really cool. Obviously you said you're kind of golf kind of determined your self-worth was, so was golf the primary contributor to deteriorating mental health or was there other sort of external factors and golf became, golf became more important? Well, I think if that obviously makes sense. like through, through therapy, I got to realize like all the different triggers in my life, but golf a hundred percent because golf was tied to my, my job, my future, my income. And then those things all tie into relationships where you, all of it, right? Like, so I'm here, I am just going in debt like crazy. And it's essentially like you're a gambler. A lot of tour players are, could probably relate to that where you're just chasing. And then when the money's not there, you're like, well, if I just keep you know, I can have a good tournament. I have a good tournament and can it, re- it recoups the last two months where I've been using my credit card. And then it pushes me forward. It goes to school. Like you become a gambler where you're just chasing. And I was just chasing and amassed $40,000 of debt. And now here I am retired. Okay. What am I going to do? I'm 27 years old. I'm in a ton of debt. I'm in my parents' basement. I, this thing that I've put my whole life into is, is for lack of a better word, it's gone. I'm, I'm working, I'm flipping houses with friends. Now I'm starting from scratch at 27, 28. And it's, it's hard to sometimes come to grips with that. And that was kind of it. Like golf was the main thing that then find it killed me financially. And then professionally, you know, if you want professionally, because now it's like, you're starting, like I said, starting over, okay, I can go work at Lululemon. Like I used to in the off seasons, like that's what I want to do at 30, be a full-time like manager of a Lululemon. Like, and then that's like, where do I live? How do I pay rent? Will I get a wife? Like all of these things kind of fall, follow suit. And that's, that was, uh, yeah, the deterioration of my overall value and worth because I had nothing, like nothing. And that hurt so much. Do you think there was some sort of void there as well? You know, you, you kind of made your way out of competing on the Canadian tour at that point. Maybe you weren't playing as much competitive golf. Do you think there was some part of you that really missed competing, missed having something to really strive for? And, and do you think oh, that contributed to it? But it, it wasn't like an unhealthy missing. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I miss that now, but in a very unhealthy way or a very healthy way. I miss tournament golf. I miss preparing for stuff, but I'm, I, I, I have a better understanding that I know that like, what it takes to fully prepare to go and compete again. And I don't want to do that because I don't want to be on the road for four weeks on a, at a time. Like I just don't want to do those things. So I miss it in a healthy way. And I can, I can look back fondly and remember those things. Whereas then that void was so unhealthy because I have nothing to prepare for. I have nothing. I have no tournaments in the future. What the hell else can I do? I can't do anything. It it was the next sentence. The next thought was, well, I can't do anything. Like I did something bad. Now I am something bad type thing. Like, and then there's shame, there's guilt, there's embarrassment. There's all of that stuff. Whereas now I, I miss it so much. But then when I'm in it and I'm like shooting 80, making 10 bogeys around now, like it's not fun. I don't enjoy it. It sucks to just, kind of know that you're 
you're just throwing it at the wall. Like I'm not that prepared, but I love the juices. I love it. I want to go. And like, I'm not preparing for anything right now. And I hate that. Like, I, I kind of hate that a lot. Like I hate that. Like I went to the golf course yesterday after we talked at first and it was like, I practiced for half an hour. Cause I'm just like, I'm not really practicing for anything. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm swinging fine and I'm practicing for playing a junior for trying to break. I'm practicing for my videos so that I don't suck in my videos as opposed to I'm practicing for a job, like my job kind of thing and my job and my income and all of those things. But there you go right there is like what I said is, is the difficulty, the best players in the world practice because they just want to win. I was always preparing so that I could get out of debt and basically, okay, then advance my career as opposed to, I just want to practice so that I can win. And when I started playing golf, that was it. And when I first turned, that was what, what it was. When I first went to Q school was just want to, I just want to win this thing, you know, and the, when I've played my best, it's like, that's where my head was at. But that's like 2% of my life. Basically the other 98% of the time was practicing for something. This $5,000 first place check or this sponsor who said they'll back me if I keep a card, like you're, you're just preparing for something extrinsic than intrinsic of, I just want to win. And like, that's, those are the best players in the world. Yeah. They're not, they're not going into the, into the players championship or the playoffs where, you know, you win the tournament and it's fucking nearly $2 million. They're not going, well, I can do an addition to my house with this. They're not thinking about that before the event. Whereas I'd be in the shower before the event thinking, man, if I win this event, it's five grand that gets me into this, that allows me to pay Q school. Like <laughs> I can pay down a bit of debt. Like, no, the best players aren't thinking those things. And it's no surprise why they're always up there because they're actually competing for just the pure love and mastery of just being the best they can and just winning. Like Brooks cares about winning majors. I'm not a Brooks Kepka fan. He cares about winning majors and that's just what he works towards, which is you got to honor that. You got to respect that. Right. I don't think he gives a shit about the money that comes with it. Cause the money takes care of itself. The world ranking points, they all take care of themselves. And that's almost why like our top golf, you know, our top ranked players don't really care about being ranked when number one in the world anymore. Like, cause it's just like, meh. That just comes with the territory of, of working hard. It's like Tiger almost ruined it for everybody because he was number one for so long that no one could like appreciate a race for it, like how, what it actually means. But then you look at like Justin Rose, like being a Canadian, like I'm the, I, like the Olympics are so special to me. They always have been. So like Justin Rose, when he's like, I'm an Olympic champion, no money came with that, no nothing. Like that is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Like you're just, that's so awesome. And with like the Ryder cup, why Europeans just love it. It's just like, there's something special about it. Not about money, not about anything. And it's like, that seems to be why they, 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 they dominate. Sorry guys. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. We have a, we have a crack next year. So when you got off the McKenzie tour and you said you kind of quote had nothing to practice for, was it hard to, just keep yourself motivated to actually practice when it didn't seem like there was a purpose and did your mental health also kind of deteriorate now that you just 
almost have all this time on your free hands and all you can do is think almost. Yeah, I think so when I like, you know, got out of it and then I moved to Toronto in 2012, the thing that like I had, I needed a reason to get up in the morning. Like that was part of my therapy. Cause I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't want to wake up. Like what was the point of waking up? I had nothing. So I was like training to run a marathon. And then I did move to Toronto and got a job with TaylorMade. So it's like, I had a different thing to, to motivate myself for. And I played some great lakes tour events here and there, but it wasn't like, didn't do much of it. So like I would practice between fittings or after a fit or something like that. And then just go play golf with my coworkers. But that was a good, I had a very healthy relationship with the game of golf then basically. Cause I was motivated in other regards. And then golf was just something I did for fun with my friends. And then I started playing again and it's like that relationship completely changed. Okay. I've got conditional status on McKenzie tour in 2013 I need to, every start I get, I need to do well enough so that I can get in and improve my status. Da, 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 da. Lo and behold, every start I got, I played like shit. Cause it was just like the pressure is too much. I just, I would crack under my own pressure. And it was just like, it was that for a few years, 13, 14, 15, 16, basically. And then it wasn't until like 2017 when I just kind of started the YouTube channel, had a bit of money in the bank from my own money from speaking and was like, it's, it's all good. I'm just going to play my events. I'm going to, I'm going to document it and see what happens. And I had a good summer when I was 17 and the YouTube channel was just kind of there. And then 2018, someone watched the channel that then backed me and gave me money for a couple of years and was going along just fine. And then I broke my arm. So it's like, there you go. But Hey, it's all worked out for the, like, I'm, I'm not at all upset about it. Like it got me off the road it allowed me to spend more time with my now wife. And now I have a, a job making YouTube videos. It's pretty cool. Like I'm still, I'm still making a living playing golf and I never was before. And my whole growing up was like, I want to play golf for, to earn a living. And that's what I get to do now. So I, I took a, took a very weird uh, direction to get there, but I'm here 12 years into my career and that's kind of cool. So you've spoken about, you know, the pressures of playing for sponsors specifically. Mm -hmm. And there's almost sort of this ultimatum in professional golf for, for people that just turned pro, right? It's, you know, you got to go out there and make some money. Otherwise we're going to stop funding you. Yeah. So what do you think looking back is kind of the right mindset going into those events, knowing I have to play well here on a limited amount of starts. And then you spoke of it there, you had conditional status. So what's it like, knowing every week that you need to play well and looking back, what do you think was kind of wrong with your mindset that you would have changed now? Well, it's exactly in what you said. I was too aware of it. You just don't, you don't need to be aware of what you, what good golf does. Just go play, go play well. Mm -hmm. And like my first year on the Canadian tour, I was fully exempt. So I was in every event. So it was like, I was doing okay. Cause oh, if I missed the cut, cause I basically shot like 70, 80, like those were my, my tournaments. Cause I was like rookie pro make a cut. Like, Holy cow. This is like, this is what you want. And I just would make mistakes, get ahead of myself, think about things. And you know, you miss cuts that happens to everybody, but it was like, okay, just going to work. just going to work. just going to practice. Cause I'm in next week. doesn't matter. I just want to play well next week. Just want to play well next week. But my health off the golf course was kind of getting in the way. But then, 
that, like you're saying when you're conditional or, I mean, my first year, my, I had thought my sponsors were going to back me for three years. And then they kind of pulled the rug out from me right before the season started and said, well, if you keep your card, we'll back you for years two and three. So it was kind of like, okay, I, I'm in every week, but, but I need to. So even at the Canadian tour championship that year, I had to finish top 25 basically to make enough money to, to keep my card in the Canadian tour. Like it was kind of easy to keep your card in the Canadian tour. You basically had to make like four, three, four cuts. And if you finished last in all of them, like you had to make like two grand or whatever. And I had to finish like 25th and going into the weekend, I was like 18th and then I shot like 78, 78 and finished like 50th. <laughs> and it was like, Oh, you're going back to Q school basically. Um, and then I got my card back in the spring of that year, but they didn't care. It was like, no, you had to keep it this way, not through Q school. They thought I was an amateur again. <laughs> Cause it's like, Oh, you lost your card. Okay. You're, you're back to being an amateur golfer, but it's, it's, it's like you said, you just can't be aware of it. You just have to go play. And, but that's so hard to do. The minute you put money on the line, the minute you are putting yourself out, it's, it's tough to just think about, I'm just going to go play. Like if I went and did the, some of the, when the the corn Ferry restarted this year and did two events in Jacksonville, if I just went to those Monday qualifiers, 450 bucks a pop like i was aware i'm like that's a lot of money man like i i could spend that money like on my rent or our mortgage or this or that or the other or lawnmowers like i so if i'm aware of what i'm investing but that makes me aware of what i need to play well and what i need to shoot it's it's next to impossible you just need to go play because you want to win you want to you want to shoot the lowest score you possibly can and that is the only thing that you're concerned about not how much it costs or or how much it's going to cost or how much i could make or what door it could open or what door it could close you literally just have to be like i want to and that's what most junior golfers amateur golfers were like like when i was an amateur player no matter what i did in a tournament i was like i'm still going home the next day and delivering pizzas it didn't matter what I did. And I had a, my last year as an amateur was a really good year, but it didn't matter. It wasn't like, Oh, if I win it, things change. No, they don't change. You're still delivering pizzas tomorrow night. Like, which was fun. Like that, like it was cool. Like that's all that mattered. And I wish I could tap into that somehow, but it's almost like it's, I'm, I'm too old now. <laughs> I don't even know how to do that anymore. Cause now it's like, Oh, no, no matter how you play, you're still making YouTube videos but I enjoy making YouTube videos more than I do playing tournament golf. So do you think there are any misconceptions about turning pro and trying to fundraise for events and, and Q schools and stuff amongst high school, college kids, they're kind of ignorant. It seems like when they come yeah. out and you've talked about the difficulties of fundraising and getting the money to, to go play Q school. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's just, I think it, it ties into what we were talking about earlier. Like, I think they're just, they think that if they just turn pro, it's all handed to them. But the misconceptions are like just how expensive it is. And like some of the coaching that I, I, I've talked about that I've been doing, like I have to tell people, like if you basically need 50 grand in the bank to dedicate for a year and give it a go. And that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money to ask your parents for or try to raise from your golf club or whatever, especially if you don't have like a resume behind you as a junior, as an amateur or whatever, because if you just go with 10, that's two months of playing. And those two months mean, oh, you better play well 
because if you don't, you're out 10 grand and there's nothing after those two months. It's back to reality. And if you're comfortable with that, then don't waste the 10 grand, invest it, buy stock in a company. Because if you're comfortable with like, I'll give it two months, I'll give it three months and just see what happens. Don't waste your money. Like, cause it won't, you won't, you won't progress. You will not. I hate to burst the bubble, but you will not do anything in a professional career. If you just say, I want to give it a go for a few months, especially cause if you don't have hundreds of competitive rounds under your belt as a junior or an amateur, you're, you're cooked. You need to, the commitment level needs to be as high as a top player in the world for a couple of years before you even think about being a professional golfer. But unfortunately there's a lot of people that think that it's something they want to try and just, it's an expensive thing to try. That's for sure. Yeah. And that, that is a huge misconception that it's because we consume golf we watch the highest players. Like we don't see the below stuff. And like, that's where like a Twitter account, like the Monday qualifying Twitter account at first, I, I hated that account. Cause it's like, God, it's depressing. Just like you're showing how, like how all these close calls, but then it's transitioned to be, it's, I think it's quite fun and uplifting and, and encouraging. Cause it's showcasing so many great players doing great things, but it's also like, this is how hard it is. This is how yeah. low you have to go. The game has gotten so good from when I, even when I turned pro, like 68 would qualify you. Now 68 just sends you back to your, your hotel. And it's like, it's just, it's really, really difficult. But a lot of the players that play really well is because they don't have the financial stress because it's the financial stress that is really, really, it weighs in the back of your mind, no matter who you are. And if you're a trust fund kid, that's almost as just as bad because you don't give a shit. So you don't work, you don't try, but cause you know, no matter what, you'll be okay. So it's like this fine line of having the money, but not taking the money for granted, but then having no money or not enough or having too much could be, they're just as detrimental. Is it hard for you to kind of not be cynical when these kids seem really naive when they, you know, first start, going out onto the mini tours and saying, Oh, let's give, let's give the pros a crack. Yes. And no. Cause I think like, I want to be as encouraging as I can. So like, I do get a lot of messages and kids and that, that do want to turn pro. And I've even had some like come and golf with me and I've had to be like, listen, dude, you have a long way to go. Don't go and play your one day tour events because you're going to be shooting in the eighties and you're going to develop a lot of scar tissue. And it's just going to be so hard to break from. Because a big thing that I notice or have noticed over my career is younger people that turn pro, when they play bad, you can see and they even you even hear them say it like, this is embarrassing. Who are you embarrassed by? If you're playing bad, who cares, right? But if you think you're getting in the way of your group or you're embarrassed to play bad in front of other pros, that's a mental shift that can't like that's a, that's a mindset that can't exist when I played bad when I was early like missing cuts on the Canadian tour I was never embarrassed because you just like that's it's not about what the guys in your group think it's just about your and like when you kind of throw yourself into something that you don't know anything about that's where that embarrassment and like oh this never happens and da, da, da. no you're gonna do your worst things in tournament golf 
It just is the way it is. And I'm not necessarily cynical, but I just don't want to see people get hurt, I guess. It's kind of like a father, like the way my dad was. Like he didn't want to basically see me put so much effort into it and try and then be hurt by it. So that's why he protected me and like tried to slow play me into turning pro. Like, are you sure? Are you sure you're ready? I don't know if you're ready. Da, 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 da. He didn't want me to get hurt. And that, that's where I'm at. Like when I even exchange a few messages and kids send me their swing and I, I'm not a swing. I don't, I don't tell them anything about their swing. I don't know. It looks good, man. Like, cause I'm not going to give you swing tips, but I just don't want you to get hurt. I try to like, okay, this is the reality of it all. And that's what the YouTube channel kind of used to be. And that's where maybe my podcast is allowing that conversation to continue. But because the YouTube channel now is much like fun, let's just try to encourage and, and show some good golf and show some entertainment and maybe some practice. Whereas it used to be like, this is the reality of it. And this is how you'll feel when you play bad. And this is what the life looks like. And it's like a cautionary tale more, more than anything or it was. Whereas now, like if I play a tournament and document it, it's not the same because my relationship with it is so different. It's like, man, I withdrew because I was riding with someone that I thought had, like, <laughs> I, I don't need to make a video about that. Like, cause it's just not, that's not, no one cares anymore. But the last tournament vlog video I ever did in May was super real and super raw and people loved it. Cause it was like, wow, that's even you, being pretty comfortable when you're in your job now feeling like I'm nervous to shit because I want to play well. And I got to express that. And like, that's the cautionary tale. Like it's, there's so much pressure and it's almost all self-imposed. So if you're not fully prepared, just take, don't go, <laughs> just don't go yet. You're obviously a really self-reflective guy. You're, you're very open about, you know, everything that you go through and your, your life and career is pretty much, for everyone to see out, out on mm -hmm. YouTube and, and then you, you do bell let's talk. Do you think that, that being that open and uh, really chronicling your, your career and your life has kind of helped you come to terms with some of the mental struggles that you've had? And do you think that's actually helped you and forced you to become more reflective and, and kind of come to terms with where your career is now? Um, I think so. I think it, it took some time because ultimately it's helped me put less weight in results, just like golf, right? So you make a YouTube video, you want them to do well, you want to get the numbers, but then when you get thumbs down or you get mean comments or rude comments, like those would affect me because I'm putting a lot of work into something. I want it to do well, just like golf. Like, you know, I, I want to play well, but the thing is how, a video does is completely out of your control, much like professional golf. Like you, you focus on what you can control and then everything else just, ha just happens. So it's, it's forced me to give less of a shit, if you will, because I would get, I actually like bad comments or whatever would really get me down up until about this year. Because I would like, not I feel like I have to defend myself, but because I like to engage and maybe express myself or like help, maybe this dialogue will help someone. So people that like, a great example, I saw a comment because I get it in my, like my back end on YouTube. It's like, 
did you ever play pro on a 59 watch video? Did you ever play pro? Because you totally should with these scores. I, I used to be like, well, here, I actually did play for a little bit, but like, no, I, not anymore. I don't need to do that anymore. Like this person wasn't saying anything mean or anything like that, but like, that's a dialogue I don't need to get into. Cause at the end of the day, the answer to that question is in videos over the last three years. So if you really want the answer to that question, you can, you can find the answer to that question. Just like Googling stuff as opposed to just throwing a, a popcorn. Oh, just give me the answer and make me work. Not like make me not work for an answer kind of thing. But then the same thing, people that tell me like, I have to block people cause there's just assholes out there. Um, but people that would be like, you know, your shit, da, 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 da. Like you, the podcast I made, the last podcast I did about how to turn pro someone commented like, yeah, but you couldn't do a podcast about how to be a successful pro six months ago, a year ago, I would get into a dialogue about that. Be like, dude, you've missed the point, but it would bother me. Whereas now, all right, that's your opinion. I don't think you're an asshole. I don't think you're anything. Cool. Thanks. Like, cool. Like it's the internet. Like everyone just shouts and it's, it's, it's the thing. It's the, the vocal minority. Yeah. That's not your main viewership. Exactly. Exactly. So, and over the years I've had instances where it's like, yeah, you get shit on for whatever video. And then I go into my Instagram DMS and it's legitimately like, Hey, your chat, this was like when I was still playing and making videos. Cause I played bad, like 80, 90% of the time I was not making money. Cause that's a lot of guys careers. 20% of the time you, you do fine and you make money and you win or whatever. But you know, I'd make a, a tournament vlog and it'd be a bad one. And then one that just went up and I'm one and I'm getting comments like you suck, da, 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 like you should retire. They would affect me, but then I would like open up Instagram and legitimately there's a message from someone at some college. that's like, your channel has opened my eyes so much to what it's like. Like, thank you so much. I don't know if I'll do it or if I like what I'll do, but like this resource has been so helpful. And now I would be like, cool. Whereas then it was like those positive ones didn't even phase me because negative ones speak louder. So my relationship with who I am has changed so much because like negativity doesn't affect me like it used to just like a bad tournament doesn't affect me like it used to kind of thing. Cause that bad tournaments early in my career are essentially shitty troll comments now. Okay. So are you letting something outside of your control determine your worth so if people want to i mean there's people that are disrespectful and like eventually you just have to be blocked because you're just being stupid but i have to also understand that like this could be so well-intentioned they have no idea right but i used to get that dialogue but now it's like i don't even need to like i said earlier just fucking google it if you want to know about my career or whatever my results just fucking google it and form your own opinion do you like the video cool does, does this have anything to do with the video? No. Well then shut up basically. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like the video I made where we gave away 500 bucks from Manscaped. There's people that are getting in the dialogue about, you know, a single doesn't have rights to get, think they should be played through. Like literally you just watched a 10 minute video where we like surprised and blessed someone with 500 fucking dollars and you pulled away. Oh, singles shouldn't be played through. What? Like that's what you got from that. Okay. Good for you. Like I don't get involved in that. Like let other people have a dialogue and like, but that's what you got from that. Okay. You know, my awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Go watch some other stuff basically.
Yeah. Uh, I, I've been focusing on the comment in where you said at first you, you were really fixated on the negative comments. Did the negative comments and how that really affected you almost kind of take the place of you placing your self-worth in, in your golf scores in a way? A little bit. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, I will always struggle with finding vindication and worth self-worth in, in external factors. It's part of my illness. It's something that I will always struggle with. It's something that I'm always managing. And sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's difficult. Like that's just health. That's just who we are. Sometimes the smallest little thing can put us off. Someone doesn't signal light driving can just trigger you, right? Like there's just the smallest things that can then can put you off. But then it's when you let those small things then devolve into a reflection on your overall worth as a human being. And like that thinking pattern is something I used to be really bad at, but now it's like a much, much, it doesn't really have much of an effect because again, like I was kind of saying, like a negative comment's a negative comment. Like you don't know me, you know, the, the projection that I'm, I'm showing of you, like, you know, 2% of my life, basically, if I'm making vlogs during a tournament, but it's just, that's the one thing with the internet. People think we know each other very, very well because of what we're consuming from any given person. And then we feel entitled to share stream of consciousness, consciousness, the minute we think something about them, like we need to tell them. And yeah, that it would, it, it's just, yeah, it, thankfully it's not something that has a big effect on my overall, the thing that has an effect on my health more now kind of like when I was playing is you work really hard and you know, like I can look back where I double bogeyed the last hole to lose a tournament by one, or I like lost in playoffs or these things and you do everything right. And then you just didn't do something at the right time. Like one tournament I lost in a playoff, I three putted the last hole for par. If I had two putted for birdie, I would have won the tournament. Right. You can look back on these things. And I was chipped in on in the playoff from like a hundred feet. And I had like 25 feet for Eagle to tie. It's like, you can be like that really ate at me. Cause you're like, there's something I, I did everything right. But then something a little, and now that manifests like when I'm trying to film a video and like it was well as I thought it should have, or it was difficulty or the weather got bad or something like that it would then get me down. And there's times like when Kelly has been out filming with me and like the pace has been slow and I've like freaked the fuck out. And like, literally like, like she's like, I'm, I'm going in, like you're being, you're being awful right now. Cause if like something outside of my control was affecting me and that's my thing now, like, cause I go in, it's being creative is the same as being competitive. I go into a video I, with an idea, this is how I'm going to execute it. And then this, da, da, da. And then if other things get in the way, it can really affect you. It's not even about how it's received or how the numbers are. It's like, was the process of making it as exactly how I wanted it to be? That's the difficult thing. And that's my new struggle, if you will, focusing on results as it were, like kind of to compare it about like when you're playing full time and you get too caught up on results rather than process. I think your, your, your channel is, really one of the most unique channels on YouTube. You know, there's a lot of golf channels out there. You look at GM golf, there's so many, I mean, and they're, they're doing, they're doing fun videos. None of them are really 
very serious looking at professional golf. It's pretty much you and Luke Kwan and maybe a couple yeah. others, but where do you see the channel, your, your career with Bell Let's Talk, the podcast, where do you all see that going? Because it seems like your videos have kind of transitioned more into, you know, you're doing the, the 59 watch, the, the pro versus junior pro versus yeah. pro kind of where, what direction do you think you're going to head in the next few years? It's tough. Cause like I had a whole plan for this year in terms of videos and then COVID happened and like that fully caused a pivot. Cause I think, yeah, it's like, it does the channel stay relaxed or does it stay about and professional golf? And yeah, I think the last podcast I did kind of opened my eyes. Cause I, people, it was the most listened to podcast I've done. And you guys know getting people to listen to a podcast is freaking hard. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that one about turning pro really blew the other ones out of the water. And I mean, it's only the eighth thing I've done, but it, I think it kind of showed me that like people care or, or are interested in me talking about that type of stuff, performance, professional golf. Like I'm not going to make instruction videos or, but when I look at like, my practice videos or those type of things, they've done very well, but not, they don't have the, the far reaching ability of like a pro versus junior or a 59 watch, but it's just a business. You have to look at it like, okay, what, what works, but what inspires me as the creator? Like, cause if you're just doing stuff that you don't like to do, or you're doing stuff just to chase numbers, you'll get burnt out pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I would love to, play more again and, and document that. But I, f I fully understand how difficult that is because you know, it's just, they get in the way and it's, it, it's weird to me. Cause like I started the channel in 2017 and there was like next to no channels in North America. And now there's so many channels in North America and like the ones that have blown up are the, are club reviews or club stuff. And then goofy golf stuff. And like, that's neither what I, what I do. So it's hard to, pulled in the algorithm doing what I do, but I just have to like, Hey, this is my business. I'm, I'm doing okay. I can help pay bills with my wife. Like I'm lucky. So I just want to keep going in that way and not have like a full set plan. Cause I think having a plan for YouTube is, is difficult. You have to have like a plan kind of short-term, but long-term you never know what could happen. Like I could, deal with a clothing company that has a dozen PGA tour players on staff. And all of a sudden you're making content with all of them and like, boom, there's cool stuff that can happen there. And I think not to disparage some other channels, I think one thing that I bring to the table and that I'm lucky that I have is I have friends on the PGA tour. I've got, they're all peers, one degree of separation to almost every player on the PGA tour kind of thing. So I can relate with them. And if I'm hanging out with them, it's not awkward because there are some YouTube channels where they're with PGA tour players and it's fucking awkward to watch them. Yeah. <laughs> they're like yeah. fanboying out. The stuff yeah. they're saying is stupid. It just yeah. doesn't work. And I think that's one area that I could be lucky with. Like if that, if that went in the future, so kind of this like host slash plane slash whatever, I think that would be really cool because it's something that doesn't exist. Like giving 
tour players, big name golfers, an opportunity to show off who they are in a more relaxed environment and not like an inside the PGA tour environment, which is super canned and staged. Yeah. And it's like when I've done the two videos with um, Julian and Devin Surrey, like you see Julian in such a different light. And even you have comments, people thought Julian just by watching him on TV was a bit of a dick or whatever, but they realized like just how fun he is. And you're only going to get a player as relaxed as the host makes them comfortable basically. And if the host is fanboying about them, it's, it doesn't work. So, yeah. I mean, that'd be really, really cool. But that just all that I can do just like golf is like, just keep focused on what I can control. And right now that's just making making the videos I'm making and letting the numbers slowly take care of themselves because as the numbers take care of themselves, that'll, so just like as good golf gets you on higher tours or whatever, that's what opens doors. So the videos need to keep, keep being really good. Like I have to be proud of them and the numbers take care of themselves and hopefully that opens doors, but it's such a finicky game. You never know what can happen because some giant YouTuber could make a stupid video and there's no money to make on YouTube for six months because advertisers pull out because of that one particular person. So it's like, luckily keep doing what you're doing and doing it well kind of thing. Cause that's the niche that I have. Like I, other channels can't talk about building a garage watch monitors and that because that's no one gives a shit about fun youtubers have to say about a track man or a flight scope right because it's just like okay but oh like oh you you played you understand it it goes just a little bit further and this isn't patting myself on the back like saying i'm better or anything like that it's just like you have a different kind of as a consumer as a watcher you have a different understanding like when i i'm a nerd so the channels i watch I respect what these guys have to say about cameras because you know, they're really good and they have a background in it rather than someone who just has numbers. And it's like, Oh, this camera's cool. That's not going <laughs> to make me like a camera kind of thing. So it's kind of the same thing, like using your experience way. And if, however, those videos look is how they're going to look basically. Yeah. I think, I think your, your niche, you know, you've mentioned it, being kind of on the serious side of, of golf YouTube is, is really cool. It might be a, a smaller market than yeah. the, the fun videos that you see GM golf, you good, good, you know, whatever yeah. they're doing. Yeah. But at the same time, I think the most value definitely comes out of, out of people like you. And you talked about potentially getting guys on the PGA tour to open up more and really talk about things that we don't, get to see them talk about, you know, usually yeah. they're, they're so sheltered and reserved and they don't want to share anything that could potentially you know, lose them sponsorships. But yeah. if you could get tour players to be really comfortable around you and really go deep on the mental aspect of the game, I think that would be something that's really, really cool. And we haven't really seen. No. Yet. Yeah. Cause he's the European tour job of it but there's nothing over here that does a great job of just showing these players and they're like just being relaxed yeah so yeah. there's a huge area there and like if it's me that'd be amazing and if it's not well it's not like there's nothing like again out of my control outside of my control like i just yeah. have to kind of keep working and hope that those doors do open and we'll see what happens kind of thing 
Well, Andrew, we, we really appreciate the time. Uh, thank you so much for no, coming I'm, on. I'm glad you guys reached out. I'm glad we made this happen. Um, insider tip, our internet's kicked us out yesterday. So yeah. uh, we're, uh, this was, we, we, it worked this uh, third time. <laughs> yeah, third time's the charm. There Perseverance right there. We preach it. But yeah, we really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. And no, we'll my pleasure, guys. Soon. It's been awesome. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Great. Take care, Andrew. Take care, guys. I hit a chili dip. It was off the it was off the hosel. I mean Cameron uh, Davis is a joke. Mike, you got any yeah. takes on the e-golf pro tour? You already have iron <laughs> covers. You already look like a giant <laughs> pussy. I don't care. I honestly don't give a shit. Struck- he could be six feet under at this point, whoever WD. I didn't watch a single <clears throat> bit of it, but I'm gonna chirp at the Fairmont St. Andrews because of the name. Yeah, Paul Tesori. Paul Tesori, friend of the pod. Neiman, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Yeah. Friend so- of the pod on Betsy. Terrell Haddon, are you kidding me? And there's a raccoon, no joke, like 20 feet away. <laughs> Florida. Say Florida, I'm hanging. Florida. No, you can't yeah. say Florida. <laughs>